following is an exclusive Disruption Network production. Anthony Z. Donaldson jumping in really quick to say thank you so much for clicking that download button. If you guys can do us a quick little favor, subscribe, share this podcast, and if you could drop us a review in all our podcast platforms, it would be greatly appreciated. You can also follow along on Instagram at the real Danny Nappy. Thank you so much for all your support and click that share button, hit that subscribe button, and drop us a review. In the heart of East Utica lies Joey's at 307. That's 307 Mohawk Street. It's where the eclectic old school meets the new school cuisine. Dine in and enjoy some amazing seafood dishes, classic Utica Italian dishes, lunch specials, a revolving dinner menu, and even offering catering. Call them at 315-864-3527. Joey's at 307. You're going to love it. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not those of Disruption Network Productions Incorporated or any of its officials or sponsors. The following program contains explicit content. Listener's discretion is advised. In this episode of Unbreakable, the Donato Danny Nappy story, Nappy takes us through a day in the life in prison. He talks about some of the jobs he worked and his two commendations. In prison, you never know what's going to happen. You never know. You get up good in a good mood. As soon as the doors open, you don't know what's going to happen the rest of the day. You know, you might get caught up in something and you have nothing to do with it. You happen to be there, you get stabbed. Or happen to, I mean, you see guys, they used to have uh, these aluminum pots that uh, boil water for you. It's got a little thermostat on the thing. One guy gets in a beef with another guy. He fills the thing up with cooking oil, boils the cooking oil, comes out and throws it in the other guy's face. They do some nasty fucking shit in there. I can tell you another guy took a, he was in a wheelchair, he pulled, he pulled a knife on me in a fucking wheelchair while I was in the, uh, working in the hospital. I said, what do you do now to myself? The guy's in a fucking wheelchair. I give him a fucking slap right out of the fucking wheelchair. Fuck him in the wheelchair. Now this is a reminder, this is this guy that came in, he was a young man, sitting in the neck. Eastern Correctional Facility, located in Napanak, New York. One of New York State's oldest correctional facilities. His name is Guido. They want everybody to think he's a wise guy, you know. I'm from Long Island. My father's a captain with some crew in Long Island. This was all a fucking show. This went on for about three or four months. Some guy knew his own, uh, knew that this kid from Long Island. His father was nobody. He was nobody. But they come in and use a name like Guido, figuring, well, that's uh, a mob talk, a mob uh, name. Anyway, he went up to Clinton. He got transferred from there, went up to Clinton. He took a fucking beating, this kid, just for doing that. You don't drop names, you know. And, and in prison, I've seen a lot of people drop names. They were really nobody, you know. I got to say that for myself, and I'm not bragging about anything in my life. I'm not bragging but I never, never used anybody's name while I was in prison. Never. I ran into two or three uh, wise guys over the time I was in. They already knew, and I knew about them, and it was, that's the way it was. But half of these fucking guys think they're really slick, and half of them never, ever left Brooklyn in their life. They talk shit, and I used to talk about John Deere. I'm from Utica, New York. I don't know nothing. That's how I used to do That's what they think about. Yeah, he's from upstate. The fuck's he know? You know, most of When you hear them talk, every fucking one is connected. Hey, my uncle's Kakai Pauly, Tony Cigars, that's my fucking uncle too. That's how they talk, these fucking guys. Most a lot of them. There's a few main guys that I met in prison. 
But that's their style. You know, who do you know? Yeah, we're on 118th Street in Brooklyn. All that other fucking bullshit. They think you can talk that shit, and those guys, guys are just fucking farmers. There was an escape in Eastern. March 26, 1991. Four men escape Eastern Correctional Facility by scaling cell bars to the top of a cell block during an evening prison program. The inmates then use a ladder to reach a prison attic and a tower turret. They lowered a fire hose from the turret to reach the ground. Three men were caught within hours, and the fourth was caught three days later. And they had like a three hour, three hours before they found out they were gone. So, you know, when you go through shit like that, they closed, everybody was locked in anyway because it was at night. They lock in at 10 o'clock, you're in your cell for the night, 10 or 11 o'clock. Then you hire, you started hearing the fucking helicopters running around the fucking prison. What the fuck's going on? They're locked in, helicopters. And the, and the guards are all doing body checks, each, each cell they're going around checking. And now for real, the next morning we know guys took off. They come around the next two days. There were buses. These are transport buses, like grain hog buses. They were they were in the prison. They were all empty. There was maybe about five at a time they come in. The guards would come by one on one on one or with a or with a sergeant and ask you, you know anything about this this uh, this escape? You're in your cell. You're locked down. If you got cocky with the, what the fuck do I know? I ain't telling you shit. Did they do? Step out of the cell, handcuff you, shackle you, put you on the fucking bus. And told those buses, they do this for certain guys. The little buses were full. They left all your personal property in there. They ship you like the Clinton, the Radica. You didn't get your personal property for six months later. You know, all your personal stuff. Whenever a cop talked to me, I didn't have the attitude, like, get the fuck away from me. I ain't talking to you. It would be no if I didn't want to say no, or if the, the questioning was continuing, I have a lawyer. As soon as you say you have a lawyer, they got to stop. But this is in prison, it's a different story. Cop came up, you know anything, Nep? I said, I don't know anything. You know, the bus is downstairs. You can be on that fucking bus in five minutes. I said, I don't know anything about escapes. I don't know anything like that. Anyway, they didn't pull me on the bus. A lot of guys, they didn't pull on the bus. But I think the, a day or two later, the IG, the Inspector General's Office from Albany, New York, they have their own investigators. They investigate everything. They're, they're pretty powerful people. I'm going to the yard now. But as I'm going to the yard, I got called in to, a, to an office. It says, report to this office. There's two investigators. And they asked me, do you know so-and-so and so-and-so? I did know two guys, maybe three guys that did escape that night. And I admitted them. I didn't lie. I don't want to bullshit them. He said, how do you know these guys? I said, well, I was in Auburn years ago. We were all in Auburn together. They were they worked on the same block that I did, swept floors, mopped. We were uh, porters, didn't they? Uh, did they ever mention that they were going to escape? I said, no. They asked me about my crime partner. How would he, uh, would he know? I said, how would he know? He's in a different prison. I don't know. I was going out to play handball, a racquetball. I had my own racquetball on that joint, had shorts on, new sneakers. All these guys were from New York City. They escaped too. So he said, "How do you get out? How do you get along with New York guys?" He said, "See, you're from Utica." I said, "Not too good. I mean, uh, we say hello to each other." I said, "But they don't like to involve uh, us guys with uh, what what they do." I said, "Because everything they talk about is like mob guy, mob shit, and everything they think we talk about is plaid shirts and John Deere tractors." He says, get the fuck out of here, go play, go play racquetball. And I, you know, I stood in that joint seven years. Each prison has these mammoth water towers. You ever see them? They're big fucking water towers. Okay, this is the month of July, Napanak, Eastern. Something happened to the pump. 
and it wasn't pumping water. So I meant all the facility, the whole facility didn't have water. So you would get up, say, in the morning, take a piss or take a crap. You go to flush. I thought I wouldn't flush. This happened to all these inmates. There was an old joint, and in, this, in the cells that they had, they had old-time windows that you could lift up here. You know the old time, and you lift the top down. What guys were doing now, they were shitting. They were taking the shit out of the toilet, putting it in the fucking bag, and throw it out in the courtyard. Month of August. That caused flies. The place fucking stunk. They had no water. We had nothing. You couldn't go to the mess hall because they didn't want to use the trays. They had no, the water was off so the dishwasher couldn't wash them. So they were giving us food in styrofoam trays. Maybe after about three days, they got bottled water to give us in the blocks. We still had yard. About the fourth day, they still couldn't get this water thing going. They bring in a tractor trailer tanker, put it in the, out, our yard, the recreation yard. Put it in, and you could have in your cell, you can have a five gallon plastic uh, bucket. You can get it from some kind of shop in there, like uh, industry and everything. Now, here's the part they had to put porta powers, those piss things all around the yard because you, the toilets weren't flushing. It's hot and it stunk in there too. Here's what you did you go out the yard, especially in the evening, and you get two, maybe two of the buckets. Say, him and I go out, right? He fills his bucket up. I fill my bucket up. We go in the middle of the fucking yard, take our clothes off, and take a shower, a, a sort of standing-up shower. After I soap up. He throws it thing on me, winces me off. That's right. And I do him. We did that for almost two weeks. No water. Stunk. What a fucking mess that was. In the month of July. This is Unbreakable, the Donato Danny Nappy story. There are some guys who were in there for some bad crimes, but there are a lot of guys who were in there for rapes in Utica. And this is how they think. Back in the days, they used to let these rapers and child molesters out. Why? Because they're sick people. But if you committed a crime or robbery, no, you did it for money. You're not sick. Boom. You would get hit by the board. These guys would get out. They, they are sick people. Because that's it's all on their fucking mind. It's all on their fire. Here's another guy from Utica. He decides to be a homo. That's his fucking business, you know. At that time, too, it was around 69. I worked in a bed shop, and in the bed shop, they had elevators where you could get your supplies from a truck that would come into prison, put it on the elevator and bring it to the third floor or the second floor. And the inmates had access to this. This guy gets caught. They stop the elevator in the middle of the floor, and they do their thing. Somebody approaches him in Auburn again. They heard he got busted with some guy in the elevator. And his answer to that question, well, it's all right to do it in here as long as you don't do it on the street. Well, that's his business. You understand the, the logic of how they think? They do that, it's their, it's really their business. But I seen him on Seymour Ave years later when I got out, he got out, and he said, hey, it's all right to do it on the street? <laughs> in there, as long as you don't do it on the street, he didn't know what to say. He put his head down, he kept on walking. But I'm going to tell you another thing that's funny, Napanak uh, again. The homosexuals, all right. In that particular prison, when I walk over, when I used to go to the yard, I used to stop in each spot, each gang member spot or any spot, in the homo spot. When I used to walk to uh, to go play uh, racquetball, I had to walk by these tables. They had, that's a certain spot for, were for homosexuals. Hiya, Mr. Nappy, they used to say. Hiya, girls. And they keep walking. They see a watch like this. They had nice shit in the front. Nappy, <clears throat> Mr. Nappy, what do I have to do to get that watch? Just don't talk like that to me now. 
Don't even think that shit. So I had these pair of uh, shorts. When I washed them, they were red. They turned fucking pink. <laughs> he wanted my shorts. Kidding around. I dealt with the house ages. Now listen to this. Before I went away, I didn't like people with long hair, hippie people with long hair and band. You know, like the hippies in the 60s, long hair, hippie people, <laughs> the fucking bandanas, right? I always thought they were goofballs. I didn't like them. But when I went to the can, I met a few of those guys. They're a complete different guy. They like to break balls, but they're bad asses. They don't fuck around. When they fight, they'll, you know, they're bad asses. I met this guy named Tommy Angel, and a nice guy. I keep turning, but they, you know, if, if the law enforcement is ever here, this nice guy. He was a fucking head of the chapter, and uh, I think it was Schenectady or Albany chapter. He was the head. But I met him in prison. Nice guy. Uh, we got along with that. I got along with that crew that in prison. Now, years later, somewhere in the mid-90s, maybe 10 years later, I'm in another Max joint. I always wanted to play the harmonica. So I sent out for a harmonica, played. There's a couple of black guys that were played it good. They showed me, you know, the basics. I wasn't too bad with the fucking harmonica. The prisons have an entertainment. Every so months they'll have an entertainment. And they have inmate musicians or singers. And some guys are in prison. We'll give you an example. Say you're with a, a, a rock band, uh, Almond Brothers or something like that, okay? Guy gets busted. He's a guitar player, a good guitar player. You find guys like that in prison, and they let you have your instrument in prison too. And there were some good fucking guitar uh, players that I met. So they formed this band. It was a rock and blues band. The guy, that you, the, the, the black guy that uh, was teaching me harps says, come on and play harp. He says, not what I want to play. Who are you playing with? He says, I play with the, believe it or not, I play with the, the, the motorcycle guys, the hell's, the hell's Angel. And I started going there. That's how I really got to know those guys. Every, every couple of weeks or every week, there was an auditorium in this prison and used the stage. We had the stage, they had amps, they had everything out there who was backup singer, who, if you know them, they're not bad guys, but you can't fuck with them. You know, you, it's time to take a break. It's nothing personal. It's strictly business. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Northeastern Roofing and Construction. Based out of Utica, New York, they specialize in residential and commercial roofing. Call them at 315-534-6118 for an estimate or visit their website at northeasternroofs.com. You can also find them on Facebook. Coming soon, Crash's Metal Recovery, located at 2435 State Route 5, Utica, New York. Crash is back and always providing cash for your scrap. Performing services on various forms of scrap metal that are ferrous and non-ferrous. Crash's Metal Recovery, coming soon. Locally owned and operated by the Givanazzo family. Now back to Unbreakable, the Donato Danny Nappy story. So when they call early go back, you can go to the package room, get your package, and you can come in with it. I forget to look at my number, my my name. I was waiting for it, but I forgot. So I had a pretty good rapport with this cop. I'll never forget the name. His name is Officer Brown. I said, oh, shit. I didn't look at the package list. I wonder if he'll do me a favor. So I went over to Officer Brown. With him was a female correctional officer sitting like you are. So I said, Officer Brown, you do have the body. Could you do me a favor? I forgot to look and see if I got a package room. Could you? Could you call the package room, see if I got a package? While he picks up the phone, the female correctional officer had her feet like this, you know, with the chair. I thought she was cocky. That's a good this. 
But all of a sudden, boom, she falls over. Again, I say, you're fucking busy, bro. The wheel's on the chair. But <laughs> she's like this on a fucking thing. Now I look. You're over the thousand mile stairs. It's when the person's unconscious, but their eyes are open or they're dying, their eyes. You could see that, right? So I look now the second time. She ain't fucking faking. This fucking girl's hurt. So I look at him right away. He's 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 like this, looking at her too. I said, I know a lot about a medical. I says, can I touch her? Can I help her? Go ahead. I said, now call the goon squad. Get him over here. Those are the other cops with, with stretcher. Now, I had worked in uh, an infirmary before I went there. When I was in Sullivan, I worked in the infirmary for a while. And I do, did know a lot about emergency shit, CPR, so that's what I do. Now, I get her, and when I, I look at her, and I'm trying to fucking figure way out, I'm trying to get a fucking pulse here. I don't get no pulse. She's like this here. I'm trying to get a fucking pulse here. I can't get a fucking pulse. Now she's like stiff. She's hard. So what the fuck am I going to do now? I said, maybe I just, I'll do the CPR without doing the fucking mouth. All of a sudden, she went, shh. And this phone come out of her fucking mouth. Now I know it's not a heart attack because she was hard as a rock. And she's going like this. I took my coat off trying to prevent her from hurting herself. She was having a seizure. While she's having a fucking seizure, that little desk, your area here, was full of fucking inmates. What are they doing? What are they telling me now? That I would grab her titties, see if they're real. Here's a fucking kid that's dying. Yeah, grab her titties, see if they're real. If stick that pen in her mouth. According to all my readings in medical, this is 19, 1992 or three, is you don't use suppressors anymore when they're having a seizure. Here's the guy, yes, think she's having a seizure. Put, grab they her, push. move in on her. You were moving on me. I was the only one there. The cop was like this here, watching every fucking thing. So I'm in fucking trouble. The best thing I did is didn't say a fucking word. I acted like they weren't even there. Then about eight fucking cops ran in. <laughs> Right. They see me down on the thing. They look at Officer Brown. Told him, no, 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 leave me alone. They grabbed her, put her on a stretcher, and got her out. I put my coat back on, and I go out in the yard. As I'm walking the yard, the first tower on the wall tower, I hear Nappy report back into the armory. He asked me too. He asked me a question. Nappy, how'd you know about the tongue suppressor? I said, Well, I got doctors in my family, and I worked in the infirmary in the. I used to like the, you see how you got a law journal, you got a medical journal. I used to like to read them. He wrote me for accommodation. Two officers signed it. Okay. okay. She left work for about a month or two, and then she had a she had a station. When you walked to the yard, she was in the corridor on a post. And she, as I walked by, she goes, Nappy, it's really like this with her head. She goes, thank you very much. I said, glad everything's all right. What happened? She said, when I was a little a girl, I got in a car accident, and it caused me a lot of seizures. I hit my head. I didn't take my medication that day. See, now you take your medications, won't you? You know, I asked about years later, as, as guys would come from this prison, and I'd run in, they say, how's so-and-so? And they would say she was all right. I got that commendation. Commendations, an official award for bravery or service, usually given as a formal public statement, also defined as a favorable opinion. Before that commendation, let me tell you about this one, talk about prison. I worked in an infirmary in this max called Sullivan. Sullivan Correctional Facility is a maximum security prison located in Fallsburg, New York, that house some notorious criminals such as Ronnie DeFeo, mob hitman Joe Mad Dog Sullivan, and the infamous son of Sam, David Berkowitz. I used to get up early in the morning, 
They used to bring me, before anybody even wanted to chow, the cop used to come get me and another guy, and we used to work in the infirmary. My job was to feed the people in the infirmary, the inmates, uh, patients. So a lot of times I would stay until 10 o'clock at night, then go back at the thing. This is about 8 o'clock at night. The cop gets a call in the infirmary. There was only one nurse on, and that particular nurse was a nice nurse. She was going through a divorce, and I used to mentor her a lot about her divorce, because she was really almost on a, on a verge of a nervous breakdown. So the cop gets a call from the block. He says, they got an inmate with a severe laceration coming in. She hears it. She says, Nappy, you help me? She says, all right. They yoked him from behind. He knocked down the uh, mouth down to his neck. His fucking juggler vein was winking at me. It was so fucking bad. So she says, look, there's this, this chemical she gave me. It was liquid with gauze. She says, irritate it, irritate it. Hold your hand on that thing. Try to keep it on there and then take his blood pressure on one side. On her side, she's trying to get an IV into him because he's, you know, stabilized, sugar and water IV. In the meantime, they call outside. When something like that, there's no doctor around it. They'll call an ambulance to take you to Albany Medical Center. The gangs had certain handkerchief who was red. It means you were with one gang. You had brown and yellow beads. You were in another brand. I had to cut his fucking thing off because, you know, to see if there's any other stab wounds or anything. Accidentally, I hit his fucking beads. They went all over the fucking floor. We saved them. The ambulance came. The guy was lucky. Just so happens when they called Albany Medical Center, they said they're on my way with a with an inmate. There was a plastic surgeon who was going home. He says, I'll stay, I'll wait. The guy was lucky, a fucking plastic surgeon. Call him up, the guy stitched him up nice. Next day he comes back to uh, prison, the inmate. He wants to put he wants to call the BCI, who's a state police investigator, and he wants to put in a grievance. He said that we didn't save his life. You didn't save your life. You came back, you motherfucker. You didn't save your life. And he was pissed off. He put a grievance in because I cut his fucking beads off. See, what, what's you, you fucking dealing with? This is Unbreakable, the Donato Danny Nappy story. I knew the guy from Auburn. He was one of the best basketball players in Auburn. Auburn Correctional Facility is a maximum security prison located in Auburn, New York. It also housed infamous criminals such as Chester Gillette, Jimmy Burke, who was portrayed by Robert De Niro in the movie Goodfellas, and mobster Crazy Joe Gallo. Unbeknown to me, I didn't know he was a homosexual. I'm in Sullivan Correctional Facility. That's a max joint. I'm working in the uh, the infirmary. My job in the infirmary was to feed the inmates in the infirmary, feed them. They're, when the breakfast came, lunch, and dinner, they used to bring everything up to me in my kitchenette from the mess hall, and I used to put it in styrofoam trays, portion off, and I used to feed them. I'm in there. This guy's got AIDS. He's got real bad AIDS. And I re- I didn't recognize him at first, and I recognized him. When he told me his name, I recognized him. He was in bad shape. He was so bad they had to put a diaper on him. So I took care of him because he couldn't get out of bed. I did a lot for him. At the time, I used to smoke. And he smoked. He had nothing. His family, they had no family or nothing. And he used to always ask me for cigarettes. And I gave it to him. I went to the head, the, the nurse administrator. Being when you're around prison, you know a lot of shit about prisons. I know that you people got a, fl- uh, a slush fund up, up in the administration. He's got a little money when you need something. He, he says, he's, the guy's name was J.J. I says, 
why don't you give me, why don't you go up, get some, some, buy a couple of cartons of cigarettes, give them to me, I'll hold them, and I'll portion him off because he keeps asking me for cigarettes all the time. Not that I, can, I couldn't afford it, but it does catch up to you. She did it for me. I said, light him up. One day I'm lighting a cigarette up for him, and I says, uh, J.J., you know what? You should quit smoking. He says, you know what, that? Look at what? He says, I'm dying. Never forget him say that. It was true. He was dying. What the fuck? Quitting smoking ain't going to. This guy was so bad how he got AIDS. I guess it was because he was a homosexual. Nobody knew it. He got AIDS. Then he had herpes of his rectum. That's how bad he was. But I still took care of him. That was his business, you know, and I took care of him. In those days, any time there was throw-up or excrement or urine, you didn't, didn't make it and touch it. You had to get the nurse. They cleaned it up. You know. He kept on saying to me, he says, you know, my brother's going to come up and visit me. He had nobody. He was from New York. And his brother would never show. Yeah, my brother's coming this week. His brother would never show. Finally, he got a visit. The brother did show. Brother was in there a few hours in the afternoon. And while his brother was in there, I said to someone, I guarantee you that with the three hours after J.J.'s brother leaves, J.J.'s going to die. I read things. I read a lot in prison. I could be on my last fucking breath for me to see my son. Out of all odds, I'm supposed to be dead, but I'm waiting for him to, to see him. As soon as he leaves, I die. That, that's how it was. That's how it was, J.J. Sure enough, the brother leaves. I says, watch this. 7.30, he's going to die. Meantime, I go in and out of the room a few times, and then I left. 8 o'clock, I walk in the room. He's just the way I left him. He's cocked up in the bed. His head was tilted like this, and he had two tears coming down off his thing. I just touched him. You know, I didn't even have to do a pulse. I knew he was dead. So I go report it to the nurse. I says, uh, there's so-and-so. I think J.J. passed away. How the hell do you know? I said, I don't know. That's why I'm telling you. Go get the stethoscope and see if he's alive. Sure enough, he was. He passed away, and that's that's a story on AIDS, that's a story on JJ, and the, I'm not making up myself to be, look out to be a you know a fucking good guy. I am a good guy. I helped this guy. I helped him while he was dying. He had no fucking body in his life. All right. So now we got two accommodations. One for say, helping the nurse. The nurse wrote me up a comment. I don't ask for this. They write you up. She wrote me up a nice commendation. They wrote me commendation for saving the uh, the officers. So when you have a 20 to life, you have to do the 20 years, your minimum first, before you see your first parole body. I did 20 years, and then I see my point. Now they can do whatever they want to do with you. So I'm saying, wow, this looks good for you. You got two commendations for saving, saving lives in prison. You're going to make it, yeah? First parole board, deuce. Second parole board, deuce. Third parole board, deuce. If you hit me with six fucking years, what the fuck you want? I'm not rehabilitated? I could have walked away from any one of these fucking things. I didn't have to save these fucking people. The fuck I got to do? You always got hope. Well, I got hope. I might win it on appeal. You don't win it on appeal. You fucking start doing this time. After about five years, you may be walking alone in a fucking yard, and all of a sudden, boom. Holy shit, I got another 15 fucking years to do. Pain, sorrow that you go to people, I can't explain that you go through while you're in prison. You don't want to be in there. There's fucking noise everywhere. All the time there's noise. Keys to open the fucking gates on the fucking cell. Always noise. 
Auburn, they have a satellite unit for the bugs, and you hear them at night in the summertime because the windows are open. You hear ding, ding, boom, 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 boom. They bang their fucking head against the wall. You, and it's a different building from where you are because the windows are open, you hear. Then you hear the fucking bugs scream, screams. You don't forget shit like that. And I always say to myself, Z, wow, shit you went through. How the fuck did you do it? I ask myself, how the fuck did you do it? Every morning you get up and the gates open and you say, what the fuck's going to happen today? Some bug next door, he comes out with a shank and he's stabbing every fucking buddy that's walking by him, if he can get him. Shit like that. Dirty, devious, envious, no good fucking people are in prison. On the next episode of Unbreakable, the Donato Danny Nappy story. Danny talks more prison stories. He was the only one that ever escaped from Attica. His assembling of a softball team. And they want to put him on a softball team. And I knew these guys. Are you out of your fucking mind? You're going to put this fucking guy on a softball team? And some well-known criminals he spent time with. You're going to have to fucking like it, I said. Because if you want to do something, you won't be around. You won't be back in PC. You won't be around no fucking more. We'd like to thank our sponsors in support of the show. Crashes Metal Recovery, Joey's at 307, and Northeastern Roofing and Construction. From Disruption Network, this is Unbreakable, the Donato Danny Nappy story. Executive Producers, Anthony Z. Donaldson and Danny Nappy Jr. Legal Advice, Christopher Jude Pelly and David Longaretta. Consultants, Todd Williams, Gabriel Altamuro, J. Anthony Stucci and JGK Associates. Artwork, Jerry Bernardo. Social Media Marketing, Christy Schleider. And I'm your narrator, Anthony Colenzo. All rights reserved, Disruption Network 2021. Anthony Z. Donaldson jumping in really quick to say thank you so much for clicking that download button. If you guys can do us a quick little favor, subscribe, share this podcast, and if you could drop us a review in all our podcast platforms, it would be greatly appreciated. You can also follow along on Instagram at the real Danny Nappy. Thank you so much for all your support, and click that share button, hit that subscribe button, and drop us a review.